Welcome to Monarchs and Money. Uh, this week for you we have a special guest, um, Christina Vachera, who is the CEO of Petron, and she's going to give some insight into the company and tell us a little bit about herself. Uh, welcome to Monarchs and Money. Hi Jonathan, thanks for, thanks for having me to join you. One thing that, that um, I was curious about is you, you took on uh, an important role at Petron. Petron's an interesting company. It's, it's a company I've been following for a while. Um, I wonder if you could tell me what was it that really drew you to this role? What made you want to take responsibility for this company? Yeah, um, as you can imagine, it was a, it was a decision I thought, uh, I thought long, long and hard about, um, which allows me then to really understand the decision to do it. And I think there's three three key aspects that really attracted me to the role. Um, one is that it's a CEO role. Uh, and what is uh, great about OMV Petrom is that it is a really physically integrated oil and gas company right from the wellhead to the filling station. So that really attracted me. I have an upstream background, spent 25 years in the oil and gas industry. So the value chain component attracted me. The second, actually, is just the importance of the company to the country. Yeah. It is one of the largest companies in Romania. Um, and also, I think it just highlights the importance of the energy sector to Romania. So that aspect really uh, appealed about the company. And then the third uh, is about Romania. Um, there is something quite rewarding in working in emerging economies. Yeah. and just being part of a country that is progressing and moving forward. Uh, and if you look at the history of Romania with the oil and gas industry, it is one of the longest. Uh, so I think it's the combination of all three, the role and the value chain, uh, the importance of the company to the country, and actually the journey that Romania is on and being able to be part of that and contribute. Yeah, you don't have to tell me about the, the third one, having lived in Turkey for 20 years. Um, it's a very different experience to living in a, a more mature economy. Yeah, far more exciting and dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, looking from the point of Petron, um, they had a very highly respected CEO. She, was, she said she wanted to retire. And so off goes the board to try and find a replacement. I assume that your experience uh, in Indonesia was a big factor that made them want to take a look at you. Um, could you tell us a bit about some of the projects you worked on prior to joining OMB Petrol? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I just add one comment, actually, it has been actually a real honor uh, and privilege to get to know Mariana as we've done the handover. And uh, to follow in her footsteps has, uh, has been really exciting to do. And we get to stay in touch quite a lot. Um, I think we are a good yin and yang combination. Uh, mm -hmm. But I just wanted to make that point. Um, but with regards to sort of prior projects and experience, um, you know, we're talking about emerging economies. Um, I got to work in Indonesia for four years, as uh, covering Asia Pacific, so actually China, Indonesia, and Australia. And right. I think the excitement of emerging economies uh, actually came from there. Um, but over over my career, I've probably worked I've worked oil and gas in the upstream, but probably more oil. Uh, sorry, more gas in yeah. that respect. 
Um, I've worked onshore US, which is the thousands of wells, which is part of the Petron portfolio. But in Indonesia, I got to work the sort of big gas projects and got to do uh, a big FID while I was there as well. And I think the combination of that's been a good set of skills of being able to put a big gas project together with all the different components that make it work. Uh, in an emerging economy, um, I think I, I think it's part of why they may have been uh, wanted me uh, to join them. So, and I, I hope that uh, that's my experience that I can bring to the company. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah, and, and speaking of uh, interesting projects, that Neptune itself is a game-changing project for Petrom. Would you be able to give us a summary of the project and how do you think it will change the company? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Actually, I think I think. Uh, Neptune is a, is a game changer for Onzi Petrom, and I think the Black Sea development is a game changer for Romania. And I think that is always really important when you're working towards such a big investment decision that, uh, that you can see that alignment of country and company value on that. Um, a few aspects, obviously, uh, about the project itself. Um, it's a joint venture 50-50 with ExxonMobil, who's the operator since uh, 2008. Um, it is a discovered and appraised resource, right? So I think the real aspect about that is it is as appropriately technically de-risked at this point in time. Um, and actually we've done uh, the engineering and design work of the development that we would like to put in place. Uh, we have put some uh, numbers out uh, earlier on, and uh, those are remain the numbers of a 1.5 to 3 TCF gas resource net in place. Um, so it, it really is a huge gas opportunity. And uh, what, it, what it enables to do, and I think I'll talk for the country of Romania and then for the company, is that is the size of the gas resource will enable Romania, one, to underpin its security of supply in gas. Currently, it's a net importer. Obviously, it will bring uh, substantial uh, state revenues to the country as well as jobs. Uh, and it will turn it into a net exporter of gas and therefore a key uh, energy player in the region. Um, and for only Petron then, as a sort of key pillar of the energy sector in Romania, the same is for us uh, in all of those aspects uh, to be able to do that. And it, it is the largest portion of our organic growth uh, in, in the upstream and the company. So uh, overall, uh, it will be uh, a fantastic opportunity uh, to develop. On the, the subject of the importance to the country, um, when I was writing a report, a gas-themed report last year, um, I was shocked to, to notice that not one single country in the European Union is actually self-sufficient in gas. Um, and that's, for a long time, obviously, Holland was, but Holland no longer is. And so every single country relies on imported gas. So in a few years' time, uh, touch wood, if everything goes to plan, Romania could be the only gas exporter in Europe. Yes, and I think to build on that, I think, and as a result, um, we see a lot of interest from outside of Romania in the development of this resource um, from, from the neighboring countries and from, in particular, obviously, the EU and, and Europe uh, in its widest context. Yeah, hence, the, uh, hence EU money for some of the pipelines that will hopefully take this to customers. Yes. 
very much so. Unfortunately, um, we're not where we'd like to be with this project, and, and um, comments that were made towards the end of last year by uh, your major shareholder, by uh, management from major shareholder OMV, were talking about regulatory problems. Um, the Romanian government introduced Ordinance 114, which capped the price of gas, um, and then they decided it wasn't for all gas, it was only for, for households, but it, it kind of left a, a nasty taste in, in the mouth. Do you think that this, um, this approach will change? Do you think that the Romanian government is going to try and really reverse liberalisation, or is this just a hiccup? Yeah, I mean, great, great question, actually, and uh, obviously fundamental, actually, to our core business as well and our existing business because uh, we are uh, just, uh, just under ROM gas in, in terms of the amount of uh, gas, obviously, that we provide to the Romanian market. Um, yeah. So maybe contextualize it a little bit. I think across Europe at, at that point we were seeing increasing energy prices, and Romania wasn't an exception to that, though they were at a, lower, a much lower magnitude, right? And, and though I can appreciate the Romanian government's concern about energy prices, and we are particularly focused and concerned with regards to vulnerable customers because they are customers, obviously, in the end as well. Um, yeah. We did find a step back from a liberalized market, actually, we think, detrimental to investment. Um, and in addition, the fact that it was done by a gas price cap that is fundamentally put to the, solely to the producers, we believe threatens investments and eventually, therefore, the security of supply. Um, so we were, we were relatively vocal, I think, about that, both at the time of 114 and have been in lots of dialogue with the government as it headed towards uh, the amendment, which it put through Emergency Ordinance 19, 2019, uh, to that. Um, and as you said, it, it, it liberalized 60% of the market when it moved the gas price cap for, um, for industrials. Where the dialogue is now is how do we get a mechanism in place for vulnerable customers? We see that all across Europe, actually, and uh, Romania should be no different. And the ability to try and get that into place, right, as well as, I think, some functionality of the liquidity of the market. Um, those two things we see as quite key, and then obviously we will be pushing hard to say, please take the rest of the market back to being liberalized, because that's actually what attracts investment. Uh, so that's the dialogue. So I, I remain, uh, I will always remain confident and determined uh, to, to see us get to that place. Um, because and, and actually it's a requirement of being part of the EU, um, but we're working right now with regards to how to get a mechanism in place uh, for vulnerable customers and come up with some suggestions to the authorities for that. Yeah, I've, I've read quite a lot about subsidies in oil and gas um, over the years, and, and it's fairly clear to me that capping prices or subsidies actually is a very regressive thing to do because... Um, the person who has a five-bedroom villa uses a lot more gas than the person in a two-bedroom apartment. Um, so, in, in effect, it's that the richer person actually gains more from it than the poorer person. So, I'm, I'm with you on finding ways of, of targeting directly the vulnerable, the, the people that struggle to pay for it. Uh, I think there's much better ways of doing that. 
Yes, I think so. Um, uh, definitely. I think as in all sort of progressive systems, you do uh, want to make sure that the, the most vulnerable are protected. Um, in addition, I also think actually we just want to keep working on energy efficiency as an overall yeah. awareness in, in the country. Um, it is a product that, you know, you can be efficient how you use it. And uh, we see time and time again that that as part of our role is to help educate people on that efficiency um, so that it helps to manage their energy bills. Yeah. Um, in the light of these regulatory issues, um, what would it take, do you think, for an FID to be reached for Neptune? Um, what kind of what kind of comfort do you think that the government or the regulators could give you or that would make the sponsors of the project be comfortable enough to, to press the button? Yeah. The question, of course, uh, everybody everybody wants the answer to, including myself, so maybe I'll share some of my thoughts. Obviously, that I mean, it is a huge opportunity for the country and 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 the, and the company, and that keeps us uh, actively and, and deeply engaged in dialogue. Likewise, it is a discovered and appraised resource with with the sort of feed and, and upfront engineering work done. So we kind of know what the development is that we want to put in place. Mm -hmm. So what we're really now focusing on are sort of, I would say, what I would call the regulatory framework aspects. Uh, and we've always said them, and I'll, I'll, I will I'll repeat them for, for the benefit uh, of, of this discussion. And I think this is the case for all big gas developments. You want a regulatory framework, yeah. fiscal stability, mm -hmm. competitive terms, liberalized gas market and key infrastructure. And yeah. I think one of the key aspects about the reason you want stability um, and, and fiscal stability in competitive terms is once you decide to do this, you're doing it. There's no coming back. This is a multi-billion euro investment. Yeah. And it's quite different than other things that have been done in Romania. Yes, we've got some shallow water offshore, but predominantly this is thousands of wells onshore which you can turn on and off depending on the investment climate, depending on your results, right? Big deep water, you start, you keep going, right? So right. you do want to make sure you've got that stability and competitive terms locked in and understood um, so they don't change on you after you've, after you've started the spending. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's prudent and you can do that anywhere in the world on an investment level of this scale. Yeah, you can't say, you can't drill 10% of your wells this year and 10% mm. next and 10% mm. the year after, can you? You either do it no, or you don't. Yeah, because you put all the, the, you put all the infrastructure in place, um, you know, so you, you, can't, you can't back off it. So that, that's why you spend a lot of time up front doing this. Again, not, not unique to other projects around the world. Yeah. Um, but also that's why you want to understand the market that you're going into. That's why you also want to make sure the infrastructure is in place, the key infrastructure in place for accessing those markets. Um, because what you really are trying to do is after that, you're moving into execution risk and reservoir risk. And those yeah. are normal parts of the business that, that we manage and move forward. So. So some of these things are not in place right now, and we, we are, as I said, we remain very keen to see this being developed along with the, with the operator, and we are continuing dialogues uh, with the authorities to, to, find, to find the right way forward. Mm -hmm. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Thank um, you. Uh, we're working it hard. <laughs> you said at the beginning that one thing that attracted you to the role was the fact that it's more... Um, you bring your, your set of special skills and experiences to the business, but then there's a whole area of business that you're not familiar with. Um, 
and so it's an opportunity to learn something else. I, I was looking at, at IMO 2020 impact uh, on various companies recently, and um, Petron, if we look at the refining margins, um, Pet OMV Petron is one of the big winners in terms of, of refining margin uptick, according to my calculations. Um, how do you see, how do you expect this regulation to change your business? So yeah, it, it has been actually very uh, exciting to, to actually learn about the downstream side of the business. In some aspects, there are similarities from an operational execution perspective, managing big hydrocarbon facilities. But obviously, you're much closer to the customer, right? Yeah. And that in itself is uh, is is actually exciting. Um, uh, for me, anyway. Um, but coming back to sort of uh, IMO uh, 2020 regulations, I think you are right. We are we are actually uh, already actually compliant with the regulation that's coming in, predominantly because of our crude uh, our crude slate. Right. Yeah. So more than 80% of our crude slate uh, has less than 0.5% sulfur content. Right. So and our refinery yield has no high sulfur fuel oil production, and most of it sits in the little distillate. Yeah, so, so actually we find ourselves actually to some degree sort of advantaged from this crude slate that we have, and then possibly therefore could create, uh, could create some sort of competitive advantage for us as this, uh, as this regulation comes into play. So, um, so yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a good place to be. I would say the one the one thing I will add you commented on the on the Petrobras uh, sort of refining uh, margin. I think it is a it is part of the success story of the privatization uh, of of the company is the modernization that's been done around uh, that refinery uh, and the enhancements of it actually to really make it a very sort of key part of uh, of our portfolio set. Yeah, it's um. I've, I've followed the story for a long time. I actually um, I went and visited Petron before it was privatized <laughs> many years ago. And, um, wow. So I've, I've seen the development there and how you went from two bad refineries to one brilliant refinery. So um, I'm aware of the capabilities. In, in the downstream, um, there's all these opportunities. Obviously, it's a highly complex refinery. You don't need to add a delayed coke or anything, but there's always opportunities for investment. Are there any any areas that you're looking at for investment in the downstream at the moment, including maybe, maybe petrochemicals or anything else? Maybe I'll just talk about one that we've just uh, we've just went operational. We put a polyfuel plant in place. It went operational in March of this year. Spent about 65 million euros on it, and that is enabling the sort of conversion of up to 50,000 tons per year of LPG into diesel and gasoline, and therefore increases the refinery's flexibility towards higher demand, higher value-added products. Uh, so that, that's one piece that's, that's, been, that's just happened. Uh, and now we're actually exploring sort of uh, value-added opportunities in the petrochemical side, including sort of small-scale niche petrochemicals and aromatics. Um, yeah. But we'll need to sort of come back when we have sort of more specifics that we can we can share and, and that has gone through the approval process. But we are we are looking definitely at opportunities uh, on on that level uh, for Petrobras. Okay, um, and then. The, the part of the business that's closest to the customer, the retail. Um, you're obviously a market leader, the market leader in Romania. Um, 
I'd be interested to know how you know what the contribution to this business is to the overall business. Also, how do you see this developing? And um, finally, one of the companies I look at that has done a very very good job in retail in the last three or four years is Mall, who is actually one of your direct competitors in Romania. So I'd be interested to see how you view your offering compared to Mall or any other benchmarks you might want to talk about. Okay, yeah. Now again, like you said about the, the refinery side, the, the, the retail side is, is, uh, uh, is new to me and I'm uh, enjoying getting to understand it. But yes, in, within Romania, uh, we have a market share sort of up around the sort of 48%. Overall in the region, uh, when you bring in the Bulgaria, Moldova and Serbia positions that we have, actually we're sitting uh, at around 34%. So still, I'd say, pretty, pretty significant uh, in the region overall um, in the portfolio. We have two brands. Uh, so um, we have the OMV brand, which is the high-quality leader positioning uh, in the market. And then we have the Petron brand as well, which is the value-for-money proposition. And I think what's great about those two brands, actually, is that as customers move, which they can between the two, they can stay within the OMV Petron, right, as long as we are offering a competitive service to them. And I think we've seen that that's, that's uh, worked well for us to have those two brands uh, in that. Um, our throughput per filling station we see is actually pretty high in Romania. It's just over 5 uh, million litres uh, per filling station. So I think generally we believe that the throughput uh, per filling station actually is very competitive. So we have the right real estate in the right locations overall. Uh, and then with regards to sort of, I would say, areas that we look to distinguish ourselves in, um, particularly in Romania, where we have started the partnership with Ocean, right? Looking to increase the non-business sales side of, of what we offer, enhancing the customer experience in the Petrom stations. And I've, we've seen this in other markets around Europe and around the world, but this is the first time this relationship between the, the supermarket side and the filling station is actually occurring here in Romania and enhancing the convenience experience for our customers. Um, we did a pilot um, with 15 Myoshan convenience stores, um, which we had opened 24-7 as well, so we could really test the market. And then uh, at the beginning uh, of this year, we signed a memorandum of understanding to continue to look to extend that partnership uh, with Oshan uh, across, uh, across our um, overall filling stations, obviously pending uh, competition council approval. Uh, so overall, I think we have, we have the right real estate to access the market. We have two brands of which we can access the market to. We have our main position, obviously, in Romania, but we're also in neighboring countries uh, with this new aspect of adding Myoshan to improve the customer experience. I think we have a distinctive offer uh, and, uh, and uh, a good position into the market. And, and potential growth, because you don't have very yes. much, any Myoshans in, in your network yet. Yes, just 15, so, but, uh, but looking to expand that uh, across the portfolio once we've uh, completed on, uh, on the MOU. Yeah, uh, generally what investors are interested in is not what you're good at, what you're going to get better at. <laughs> so. <laughs> very true, yes, very true, uh, that's true. So if that was the case, I'd say you, you look at Neptune, uh, you look at petrochemicals, we've got the polyfuels in place, you look at Myoshan, yeah. uh, and you start to see the things that add to what is already uh, a very strong performing company. Mm -hmm.
Okay, I think that's about it for my, my questions. Uh, um, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. And to you, both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I uh, hope to catch up again soon.